Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope that it will encourage you and help you live out your faith in everyday life. Make sure to download our church app by typing Comox Pentecostal into Google Play or the App Store to enjoy more podcasts, Bible resources, giving options, and more. Did you like that video better than the last series? That was good, wasn't it? That was the work of Pastor Laura. Uh, she put that together for us this week. And so for the next few weeks, as we go into this series, Jesus in the Bedroom, we get set up for the message with that fun little video. By the way, we, had, we have people call the church every once in a while, and they say, what's our pastor's name? And so I'm Mike. If I haven't met you yet, I'm Mike. And if you didn't know who was speaking prior to me up here, that's Pastor Laura, and she's my wife. And we're going into a series on marriage and sex and relationships. And Laura asked me this week, she said, are you preaching at me this week? And I said, no, I'm much smarter than that because she's preaching next week and uh, it would just be right back at me. So we're doing our best just to love everybody as a church family uh, as we go into this series together. I think we're gonna have fun. I hope our hearts will be open to learn. I know it's a tender subject matter and for some of us, there's different feelings that emerge along the way, and we're going to pray through this whole journey that God continues to open our hearts and help us to grow together as a church family, that marriages would be strengthened, that singles would be strengthened, and that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done here. Amen? Amen. And amen. Some of you remember that from before. How many of you uh, think you might remember what the first viral video ever was? Have you seen this floating around before? I'm sure when you see it, you're like, oh, I saw that about... 15 years ago or so. Uh, there's a little bit of debate if you Google, you know, what was the actual first viral video, but certainly this was probably the first, if not the first. So let's roll that right now. So that was captured by an office camera, and then somebody back in 2005 or so figured out, I bet I could show this somehow in an email, and then it went viral. How many of you have seen that before? How many of you have felt that way about a computer before? <laughs> yeah, I think we can all <laughs> relate. Most of us try to you know, control that inner whatever that guy's name was. Uh, But I think we've all been there where we'd like to teach the computer a lesson. And no matter what your desires are or your truth is, the computer has its own way, right? You might be thinking, well, I wish that when I bang the side of a computer, that's my desire, in fact, that when I bang the side of a computer, it, it works properly suddenly. You may have that desire, You may desire to punch the keyboard, hoping that it'll type entire paragraphs for you or fix whatever the issue is. You may really wish that. It may be your truth that if you smack the computer and knock it off the desk, that everything's going to be fixed. That may be your truth, but is it the truth? Does your, tr- does your truth define what's real there? Does your desire define what's real there? Or in that case, does the computer actually still design and define what's actually going on? It's the computer. It's amazing. I, I don't know hardly anything about computers. I'm very reliant on IT geniuses. And we recently had some IT work done at the church here. And it's amazing how stuff that would take me years <laughs> to figure out you know, they just come in and da 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 Pastor Trevor, his computer wasn't printing to our printer anymore, and it was a big, complex issue, and so he brought it to this IT person. They said, oh, not even six seconds. 
Try this. Print. Off it goes. The IT people, you know, they're these, I don't know, like I think we just worship Jesus, but if there was a next category to potentially give a lot of thanks to, (laughs) IT people, you see, they know how it's made, right? They know how it was designed. It doesn't matter what you and I desire a computer to do or what our particular truths personally might be about computers. It's people like IT people who come in and save the day because they understood how it was made, right? So with some of that in mind, I want us to uh, think forward a little bit. Um, I don't know what you expect of your computer, but, you know, I expect my computer to mow the lawn. I mean, well, okay, I don't expect it, but wouldn't that be great? And I'm not talking about, like, just being able to push some buttons and then, like, a virtual mower thing or a real mower gets released in my yard. Wouldn't it be great if the actual computer itself could just mow the lawn? I want that to happen. That is my desire. Now, you probably are like, well, that's strange and weird, Pastor Mike. What are you thinking? But, but it's, it, no matter how much I want that to happen, no matter how much I desire that, the computer was never created to actually mow the lawn. If it sits on my lawn long enough, it's going to create a dry spot underneath it. Uh, but that's as close as it's going to get, right? Um, I had to work on our family banking yesterday, and so I've got an Excel spreadsheet file where we track our family savings and stuff. Yesterday, I had this great idea. I went on to sort of the bottom line number, and I added an extra zero at the end. That was my truth. I love it. I loved seeing that number now. I feel a lot better about a lot of things because I simply added a zero, and it's my truth. Like, it worked, right? And you were looking at me like, well, okay, I know you're being silly. I know you're trying to make a point here, Pastor Mike. The reality is, no matter how much that might be my truth, the bank actually keeps track of the real truth. (laughs) Right? And so if I spend thinking my truth wins, at some point the bank is going to phone me and say, do you need an overdraft? Because your truth is wrong. (laughs) It doesn't work like that. Why? Why? Because there's truth about banks, there's truth about money, there's truth about computers. And so I think, I think there are three big questions that you have to answer as we go into this series together. First is this, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to sex, sexuality, is there truth? Now you have to answer that if you believe there is truth. So what about when desire and truth aren't working together? What happens? What about when my truth is up against truth? What happens? So you have to answer, is there truth? Secondly, I think you have to answer this. If there is truth, Who defines the truth? Is it you? Is that your authority? Is it culture? Is that the culture's privilege is to define all truth concerning relationship, sexuality, etc.? Or is it God? And then the third question is, if you conclude that it, it must be God, are you willing to open your heart to growing in your understanding of truth? Are you willing to trust him through this journey together? Are you willing to trust his ways? As we move forward into this series, I want want a lot of this series to be built upon 
four foundational realities. And I think we just sort of have to give some attention up front to this. If you have your Bible, we're going to get to Matthew chapter 19 in a little bit. But I, I need to build sort of a foundation for this series. And we may revisit these four thoughts a few times through this series just to remind us of some important things that I think we have to be willing to embrace together that will help set the stage for us to better understand our place in relationships and with sexuality and identity and so on. First foundational reality is this. Sex is not a basic human need. I feel some of you are very disappointed with me right now. <laughs> Sex is not a basic human need. It is for the survival of our species, but not for each individual. Uh, if you were just to spend a little bit of time looking around online and just, okay, what are the basic human needs? Generally, we come to a list of these five things. Food, water, clothing, shelter, sleep commonly agreed upon across viewpoints and perspectives around the world. These are the five things that are basic human needs. If you're looking for a more complex psychological chart, I give you this. Can we see this next? There, yeah. So, <laughs> Wi-Fi is now on that list. And, and then there's this, actually, because we have a, discovered another basic human need. You can have all the Wi-Fi you want, but if BC Ferries doesn't supply Wi-Fi or battery, you know, enough. And then I give you this. We've learned this in the last two years as well. <laughs> okay, so now we understand basic human need, but still sex is not on the list. I think as Christians, as Christians, we would add two more things to that original list of five. So number six would be unconditional love. We would believe that that is a basic human need. People don't even have to be deserving of it. It's a human need. And then the seventh thing would be renewal. That all of us experience levels of brokenness and dysfunction and disfigurement in our lives, and we're in need of hope and healing and help outside of ourselves. In fact, you know, if we were to think a little bit longer about this one, we might say the kind of renewal all humans need is actually impossible, but it is our need. And this is why our discovery of Christ and his coming to us matters so much to us because the message of Christ is ultimately that everyone can be unconditionally loved and everyone can have the hope of impossible renewal. This is human need. However, in spite of the fact that sex is not a basic human need, some treat sex as if they are entitled to it which makes things difficult because they've, they've allowed self to become totally at the center of life and relationships. And self at the center of life and relationships, as unpopular as it is to say, is one of the most destructive things on earth. It is not an essential need. Sex is not an essential need. Those who do not have it are no less human. To suggest otherwise would discriminate against single people. Which leads us to the second thought. Those who are single are equally affirmed. It doesn't matter if you are a lifelong single, if you're not yet married, if you're divorced, if you're widowed. In Comox Pentecostal Church, we love and affirm Every 
single person. Amen? Throughout ancient history, and this is interesting, many of you may not have known this. Throughout ancient history, single people were very marginalized. Without family honor, you had no honor. Without heirs, without producing heirs or being part of producing heirs, you, know, you had no sense of legacy or contribution to the world. Then, 2,000 years ago, with the rise of Christianity, something new was offered. Unique dignity was given to single people for the first time in history. And we should look at Scripture and not be too surprised by it. Who writes most of the New Testament? This fellow named Paul. Single. Who is Paul spending most of his time writing about? Sunday school answer. Jesus. Who, it, who was single. So, Jesus in the bedroom. Is this a series for singles too? Do singles have bedrooms? I think so. This series is for the third foundational reality. Marriage was God's idea. Let's pause there just for a second. Marriage was God's idea. It wasn't some sort of uh, human discovery or invention to like figure out how to possess lands or share things or whatever. This was God's idea. In fact, when you look at scripture, if you're willing to trust that God's truth has authority on the matters of relationship, sex, and sexuality, I think it's fascinating to think about at the beginning of Scripture, the climax of God's creation, what happens in Genesis? God marries the first couple. He brings together a man and a woman, Adam and Eve. And how does the Bible end? If you read the very end of Revelation, it ends with another wedding. Begins with a wedding, ends with a wedding. In the Bible, we have teaching on marriage and relationships. When you think about it, it's been tested by millions of people throughout centuries of history and in multiple cultures. I defy you to find other resources that have that much behind them. There is a lot to be mined out of Scripture on the subject of sex, marriage, and relationships. And I will grant you this. Scripture, at times, offers confusing thoughts into the mix. That's why it's so important for us to understand context and understand purpose and meaning along the way. Marriage was God's idea, purposed and inseparably connected to his image. We're going to discover a little bit more about that later on this morning. And is identified by self-giving love. Can you say self-giving love? Marriage is a covenant. Can you say covenant? Joanne, you said amen. I said covenant. Let's try, let's try covenant. Covenant. Okay, I want to hear Joanne too. Covenant. Covenant. Oh, she got it too. Somebody else. And amen. Yeah, I thought, thought that was going to happen. Can you think of anything else in Scripture that epitomizes self-giving love and covenant? Sunday school answer again, right? Jesus and the cross right? On the cross, at the cross, God was saying, I'm giving myself completely, exclusively, 
and permanently to you. That was God's gesture to humanity. So what happens at baptism? Baptism is an allegiance ceremony. It's a family ceremony. What happens at baptism? Baptism is our ceremonial response in covenant to God's covenant gesture at the cross to us. At baptism, we are saying, I am giving myself completely, exclusively, and permanently to you, God. Baptism isn't just sort of like a nice dip in a hot tub in a church service or a cold dip in the ocean outside. There's far more meaning, covenantal meaning to it. So at a wedding, scripturally and today, at a wedding, it is a covenant ceremony. It's two people saying to each other, I am giving myself completely, exclusively, and permanently to you. So I have a question for you. In our faith, is there any kind of covenant renewal ceremony? Do we have anything in our faith that might point to a covenant renewal ceremony? We've talked about Christ and the cross and God's gesture of covenant towards us through that. We've talked about baptism and that being our response of covenant to God. Is there something else in our faith that's our practice That's our covenant renewal ceremony. Joanne said amen. No, she said communion. She's right. It's communion. At communion, there's two things going on. It's a regular reminder from God to us and us to God that we belong completely, exclusively, and permanently to each other. And it's also, catch this, communion is a physical reenactment of our covenant. We're actually eating it, consuming it. And so it becomes a physical reenactment reenactment of our covenant. Now, fourth foundational reality. Sex is God's idea. I'll just pause there for a moment. Some of you are ready to worship now. You're like, okay, this sounds good. Thank you, God, this was your idea. Sex was God's idea for pleasure and procreation within a mutual whole self-giving, super-consensual, lifelong covenant. Sex is a covenant renewal celebration. When two are made one and form a covenant with one another at their wedding, their relationship is consummated. And then in life-giving, growing, healthy relationships, sex occurs. And what is it? Is it just some sort of act? Is it just the followings of desire? Or is it a reenactment of covenant? Is it a physical covenant renewal ceremony whereby the two people are again reminding each other, we are one, and I'm giving my whole self completely to you, exclusively to you, and permanently to you. Sex says, I belong completely, exclusively, and permanently to you. Therefore, and this, maybe you've never heard it presented this way, but hopefully this helps some of us as parents or grandparents or those of us who are trying to figure out our way in the world. Outside of marriage, sex is saying, 
I just want to experience something of you or something with you, but I would like to withhold parts of my life from you so that I can still live independently of you in some ways. When sex is outside of covenant, self has moved entirely into the center, right? Because there's something, I'm no longer whole self-giving here. I'm now, you have something that I need or I want. So whatever I can do to try to get that to happen, I'll do it. It may appear loving, but there's some sort of selfish motive that's driving this. It could be a pursuit of gratification. It could be a pursuit of a sense of security or a pursuit of some kind of validation. Historically, and apart from God's good design, sex, when handled selfishly, has become disfigured, distorted, and misunderstood. As we continue into this series for the next several weeks, I want us to understand something about uh, the context of Scripture. We're, We're anchoring this series in the words and ways of Jesus. The reality is, I don't know if you've heard this before, you may have caught it on the video, The ways and teaching and words of Jesus inspired the first sexual revolution. And so it's worth us paying attention specifically to things that Jesus said. Because Jesus is absolutely central in our faith. And though he was single, he has a lot to offer all of humanity on this subject. I want us to think for a few moments about the culture in which Jesus was in. He was in first century Uh, Israel, which was within the Roman Empire. So the Jewish people that were living in that day, they were sort of this small little sect of faith that had their unique practices and ways, but the predominant culture was Roman. And so it's helpful for us to understand the kind of culture and realities that were being faced around the time of Christ. Any of you who like studying history and don't mind reading academic-related stuff. Here's a book that I'm just drawing, lifting some of this from. It's called From Shame to Sin. It's by a professor down in the States, and he unpacks so much of what Roman culture was like around the time of Christ and how it was transformed by the words and ways of Jesus and his first followers. So let me give you four things about sex and sexuality in the Roman culture. This is, there's some things in here that are graphic and disturbing, by the way, but it helps us to understand the contribution that Jesus and the church has made throughout history. First, status-based parameters. So when it came to sex and sexuality, it was all about status-based parameters. Free men, in the, so that meant they were a Roman citizen and they weren't a slave, they weren't poor, they were free men, had all rights and privileges when it came to sex and sexuality. Uh, second thing, sex, uh, sorry, that was free men. Se- secondly, uh, slaves, the poor, and young boys had no rights and no protection. Young women were protected because virginity was one of the highest commodities that men were seeking in their marriage relationship. So status-based parameters. Secondly, um, there was a a freedom in the Roman culture for sex to be sold or stolen. So prostitution was very legal. It was nurtured by the government. It was nurtured by local pagan religion. You think of all the temples and 
you know, pagan sexual worship and so on with temple prostitutes, etc. So it was very much encouraged. Uh, and sex, you were free to steal it from others. I mentioned earlier about the lack of protection that slaves and the poor and young boys had. A free Roman male could steal sex from any of those people, any time with no consequences. It was his right in the Roman world. Women were objectified and commodified. Free women had status in society, but at the end of the day, their contribution was only measured by what they could offer their husband in terms of family legacy. Will you produce enough heirs for me? So there was no hope of real love and relationship for that wife. She might have security. She might even have a wealthy husband, a powerful husband. She might have respect in the community. But at the end of the day, she too is just objectified and a commodity as well. So in summary, the Roman culture was extremely male-centric. Every want, whim, and legacy connected to the male mind was what Rome was about contrast that kind of reality, and there's a lot more murky, difficult, dark, disturbing details. I tried to give you the G version, if you can believe it, but um, contrast that with 500 years later, the Christian sexual ethic becomes codified by law for the known world at the time. Now, 500 years is a long period of time, but think about it. It went from that kind of Roman reality to all of a sudden, rape is outlawed. Consent is valued. I mean, that prior in history, that really wasn't a global cultural trait or value at all. So there was distinct influence from the church. How did this come to be? How did things change? How did the first sexual revolution occur? Through a single Jewish man named Jesus who drew the attention of his followers to Simple truths about relationships and self-giving love. So with some of these thoughts in mind, let's turn to the scripture together. Matthew chapter 19. Two verses we're just going to look at together, draw a few thoughts from, and then move towards a conclusion. In this text, Jesus is cornered by some people, and they've got some questions about relationship and sexuality and all of that. And so this is how Jesus gives his response. In the beginning, the creator made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. I want you to remember, the words of Jesus are very important, very revolutionary to the culture at the time, I think to our culture today as well, and it's worth us giving time and attention to. So follow with me into just a few thoughts. Jesus is being asked a question, and so he responds with another question. That's why you see a question mark in his response there. And there's a few things in there to ponder today. First is this. There are parts of God's heart and nature that are best reflected by men. How do we know this? Jesus keeps referring to God as the Father, right? 
So there are parts of God's hearts and nature that are best reflected by men. And there are parts of God's heart and nature that are best reflected by women. We may be undertaught on this in church at times, but it's a reality. Jesus, in the Gospels at one time, he's grieving over Jerusalem. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you like a hen gathers its chicks to itself. Deliberately using a metaphor of a mother figure to describe God's heart towards his people. God's heart, his nature, his ways are reflected wonderfully by men. And God's heart, his nature, his ways are reflected wonderfully by women. As wonderful as I think us men are, our ability to reflect the image of God is incomplete. And as wonderful as all you ladies are, your ability to reflect the image of God is incomplete. In the covenant of marriage, a man and a woman together reflect the image of God. If we had an exciting men's event here, and I was part of it with all of us great gents, you know, sort of like a man cave party or something like that, it doesn't matter how many wonderful men are gathered together. Our reflection of God together is incomplete. And if Pastor Laura was doing some sort of girls' thing, ladies' thing, all the ladies together, as wonderful as those ladies are, doesn't matter how many wonderful ladies are together, the reflection of God's image would be incomplete. Because it is reflected best when man and woman come together and in covenant. How does Jesus define issues of marriage, gender, and sexuality? Through desire or by design? When he's cornered by religious leaders in his day and age, he doesn't answer with desire language. Why? Built in with desire language is this idea that I am at the center of my life and relationships. And Jesus opts instead for design language, going back and validating the words of Genesis. In the beginning, God created male and female. Verse 6 ends this way. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. That line, it, it's as if it means also, what God has said, let no one edit. What God has arranged, let no one rearrange. It's funny, you know, if you spend time learning Jesus throughout the Gospels, you will come across him on several occasions saying things like this. You've heard it said, but I say to you. Have you, have you seen that before? Or he'll say things like this. A new command I give to you. And on the important topic of marriage, relationships, and sexuality, Jesus does not reopen or change his Father's created order and design. So I want to take a moment just to hopefully speak to your hearts a little bit. Every marriage in this room and online today is worth working on. Every marriage. No marriage is perfect. 
Some experience ongoing seasons of health and strength and joy, but life throws all kinds of things at us all the time. And if you have felt like you've had a strong marriage, but for whatever reason there's a bit of struggle or challenge or just the stresses of life maybe is interfering, it's worth working on your relationship. And if you're thinking, I wish our marriage had some health. I don't even know if it has any. Maybe there's secret and silent suffering in your soul or together your souls as a couple. Every marriage is worth working on. There is hope for you. There is help for you. There is healing for every individual, every couple, every relationship. I want to ask you as a church family to consider adding a few things to your life or to your schedules just simply to contribute to your own relationships, to your own health, your own strengthening and development. We have three pop-up groups that we're launching this week. They're, they're short-term small groups. And each of these short-term small groups are going to focus on three different studies, resource studies concerning marriage and relationships. So I want to give you this first one. Here's just some information. You can start signing up for these right now. The first one, this is Calvin and Hare Farnell. Uh, no, Claire Farnell, but look at Calvin's hair. My goodness, that's impressive. So he's had a haircut since then, but good to know that's him. On Wednesdays, beginning this week, they're going to offer, a, I think it's five, it may be six weeks, uh, a study called His Needs and Her Needs. You can sign up for that online. I'd encourage you. Some of you may think, well, our, our marriage is doing, you know, we're doing pretty good. That's great. Let's get stronger and even better together. This would be a great option for you. Second one, speaking of hair, here's Chris and Judy Geitenbeek, and that's Chris's hair that he had. <laughs> it's phenomenal. I'm very happy to see that, Chris. And they're going to begin this Tuesday with a group called Marriage Remodel. So it's kind of following like the the renovation show technique, that kind of thing. So they're just going to follow along that kind of thing for five or six weeks. It's going to be great. You can sign up to join them on Tuesdays. One other group is Brooke and Sheila Peterson. And I can't remember if I heard that that first photo there is the day they got engaged, which means Brooke was 12 when he proposed. It was just, <laughs> just awesome. What a man. Um, pretty impressive. <laughs> I want us to stand together. I hope that you will go online today and sign up for one of these groups. If you uh, are familiar with our Right Now Media resource, I did say stand up. Some of you heard, caught that. Others, are, others of you are wondering, why, is, why, is, why are they standing? <laughs> there are other resources that we'd be glad to point you towards, but for many of you, this is a great opportunity to become connected with others, journey forward together. By the way, for anybody who thinks, I'm a little bit nervous about getting into a group like that because... What if we have to share so deeply and it becomes really awkward, really embarrassing, really uncomfortable? You know what? You don't have to share that. This could just be something where you just get comfortable to talk with a few people about whatever you're comfortable with. If there are deeper things beyond that and you need any kind of help, you can always reach out to our pastoral team and we'd be glad to provide whatever other kinds of support we can, including referral to great marriage counseling. And if there's not support within your own, say, benefits package or something like that, or you're like, I don't even know how we could afford that, our church wants to help with that too. Earlier today, we sung 
And whether you're single, whether you're in a relationship, you've been in a relationship, you're married or whatever your status is, I wonder if you would join me today in just recommitting ourselves collectively to God. So we're gonna sing in response and then I'm gonna come up to lead us in a prayer to conclude today. Another resource for those who might be interested, if you want to pick it up on Amazon, is uh, called The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller. I'm using this to help me as I go through this journey with you as well. There are lots of great resources, and so I want you in this time, consider if you're not reading a book, pick up something that'll help you in your present circumstance. Could I ask you to put your hand over your heart in this moment? If you happen to have your sweetie nearby, would you just, with your other hand, grab their hand or put your arm around them? I want to pray for you, Father. We're moving into sort of some delicate territory together as a church family, and it's so important that we do. Every person, every story, single, married, whatever their status is, it matters to you right now. So I'm praying for your touch on each heart. Today, as we consider issues of truth and design, speak to our hearts. Now, for the married couples in the room, Father, I'm praying that your love would flow in greater ways. In response to your self-giving love, may we grow in our self-giving love to the other. For any who are struggling in marriage or singleness with something deep and difficult in their heart, would you provide a great grace for hope and for healing? Father, now as we go into your world on your mission, we declare again, our dependence upon your Holy Spirit. We need you. So empower us, we pray. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray this. And everybody said, amen and amen. Well, I hope you have a wonderful day. Thanks again for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged you as you live out your faith in everyday life. Make sure to download our church app by typing Comox Pentecostal into Google Play or the App Store to enjoy more podcasts, Bible resources, giving options, and more.